I'm happy to have on the show today, Andre Melas. He's the founder of AI Interdisciplinary Collective. They're teaching people how to use AI with workshops. But we're just talking about how you lost $50,000 before you even got into this. So what happened with your last venture and what happened that caused it to go into bankruptcy? Thanks, Chad. And that's a great question. So I want to say at, right after the COVID lockdown ended, I felt like there was a big need in the market for personal training and coaching with COVID-15 or whatever and people being stuck at home. And I was like, I've always loved being athletic and working out. I was like, this would be a great time to start a business online with a focus of it being online. I had tried before in the past a few times with just traditional personal training, but this time I wanted to focus with the online. So this is a long story, but there's literally probably four or five or six agencies that I worked with, not all at once. Like one agency didn't work out, had to claw my money back, was discouraged a few months later, got back on my horse, tried it again. And then this kind of went on for, I would say about two years, maybe a little better part of two years. And then it just became untenable. And I was like, this is not working. And then every time I felt like that, I would say, no, but you can't quit. So then I would go back to it like a bad relationship where, you know, you should leave, but you just keep returning. You're like, no, it's going to work this time. No, this time really is going to work. No, this time for sure it's going to work. No. Okay. But this time really it's different now. So I don't know. I could take full accountability and blame only myself, but I ran paid ads on Facebook. I paid agencies. I paid the expert guru with the expert sauce with the expert whatever. And uh, no, like I was just using the credit card debt to max out to make my dream come true and it didn't work. And then bills were piling up and then that added pressure. And I don't even think that it was good pressure. It probably hurt my approach in many ways. And then I would say at the end of last year, BlockFi went into bankruptcy. And BlockFi, you got Bitcoin back as the reward. And that was my tipping point where I was like, wait a minute, you guys are going to become insolvent. Five grand is getting wiped, but I'm still on the hook for five grand. So that's what kind of went, sent me down the rabbit hole. And I didn't even know what a bankruptcy chapter seven was. And that's when everything gets liquidated and you owe nothing. So I spent about a month, maybe a month and a half researching it just to make sure that it was the correct decision and that I really wanted to go through with it. I reached out to some close, some close people in my life and they gave me different ideas and You know, I really didn't, it was not impulsive and it was really hard because on some level I felt like I had to admit defeat, but on another level, it was a fresh start. So I'm happy to say that I did find a nonprofit, Upsolve, where they actually help you fill out the forms. And one night I just took a challenge upon myself and I did it all five hours without getting up. But it's really nice, no different than a lot of website automation where you just go page to page. And then they ask you questions to make sure you fill it out. A similar service is Free Tax USA, where you just file your taxes up by yourself. And it basically, it just makes you so there's no errors when you submit it. But I did it with them. It took a couple of weeks. And then I drove down to, I'm in Michigan. So that was in Detroit to the bankruptcy. And I filed it. And then a few months later, there was a creditor meeting. And then a couple months later, I think June 6th, 
it was discharged. So all the debt was wiped out. So despite all of my fussing and fighting and frustration, I guess at the end of the day, I think the takeaway is just what a good learning it was. It's a good learning lesson. And, you know, I guess you could say I didn't lose anything besides beating up my credit, but it wasn't really, <laughs> I don't know. Because as I say, there's a stigma involved in business. It happens much more frequently in consumer, like day to day. I believe there's a stigma and I don't really think there should be. If you look at the interest in the principal, you're not doing yourself any favors. You're just making someone else. It's, it wasn't bad. There was a couple months where it was bad, but I got over it and now it's gone. So I'm just on to the next thing. And the, I, what's interesting is while all this was going on, I started the nonprofit as a way to not go crazy. Right. I was like, I got to focus on something positive. Let me focus on something else besides this. I don't like how this feels. This is not what you know, when I started it, I was like, I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to help all these people. I'm going to crush it. Blah, blah, blah. And then to have that outcome was a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, right? I was like hard on my pride, hard on my ego. Am I quitting too early? Am I not all the back and forth? And, but you tried and you tried again, you maxed all your cards out. It's not, so it was not an easy decision to make, but now in hindsight, I'm glad it's over and I'm have a fresh start. And now I can focus on new projects and new ventures without the crippling dread of having debt pile up every month. So I'm really happy about it. Maybe we could put a link for the Upsol if anyone's interested or currently facing anything similar. I would highly recommend it because businesses do it all the time. Pretty normal, right? It's not a don't hang on to it forever and live with it for 20 years because it's just not worth it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking to you at this point in your entrepreneurial journey because the first venture does not always work. Yeah. And everybody, something it's made, oh, like we're all going to be Zuckerbergs and Musk. Right. No, like first one might fail, second one might fail, third one might yeah. fail. But if you keep pushing at it, you're learning every time, you're taking those lessons. And then the fourth one, it'll go big. That's your business. 100%. 100%. So what's the goal now with this new a nonprofit AI venture? That's a really good question. So I actually had initially a few different kind of ideas, rough, right? I think it's important always to keep, to not get too attached to any one particular direction and to focus on iterate, iterate, iterate. And I had a lot of different ideas. At first I was trying to do like a cybersecurity bend, like specifically to that. And another one was the music festival. I originally thought if you have a nonprofit, you could throw a music festival and all the money you make from it, you could buy computers and that's how you could pay for the workshops and to hire speakers. Me personally, I have a huge interest in the programming and machine learning, like high level, right? Not just how do you use chat GPT? How do you make a chat GPT, right? How do you train your own large language model? How do you train a neural net? What's the difference between convolutional? What's the difference between the 15 plus different algorithms and why are they important? And which ones should you use for what types of data? So for me, it's a little bit more, a little different, but that was actually one of the ideas I saw. I saw a show on YouTube and it was Carl Cox and Fatboy Slim. And at the bottom, it was like, nonprofit donate here. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. And I was like, 
this was around the time that I submitted the paperwork for it. And I was like, dude, if I could do a music festival and just take money and do fun stuff, just get a bunch of great artists to come. I was like, that would be great. My idea the whole time with it was just like for me personally, I've always been a bit introverted. So I thought this would be a great way to connect with other people that are passionate about AI and where it's going. Again, not to judge anybody, but I'm certainly not afraid of it. I don't fear it. I think that's a little bit of a weird argument that I've seen being made. But again, people are afraid of what they don't know. So if we could use that as an educational piece, and I think that's really great because it's not going anywhere. It's only going to emerge more and become more ubiquitous. So I think it would just be really, you know, beneficial to make that transition a bit smoother or like, I don't even think most people realize how much it could help your life with whatever you're doing. Whether you're a white collar office worker, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're trying to figure out how many gallons of paint to buy to paint your house, whether you're trying to, it's just really just mind boggling when you think about it. It's going to touch every industry. That was, that was really it. I was like, Hey, this could be really fun. I spent the first couple months working on getting the, the federal grant number. I'm drawing a blank UEI to get grants. And then I tried watching a bunch of grant videos, but then I got turned off when I spoke to a director from the NSF where he said, unless you're an academic with tenure, with publications in the top journals, you're not getting any of this grant money. So then that was when I took a break this year from like March, maybe to June. And then my close friend Cornelius actually works for two nonprofits, MAPS and DanceSafe. And I, I reconnected with him. And he was just telling me about his experience working with nonprofits and what it's actually really like. And it was actually his suggestion. He goes, make stickers, make a website with a survey, go out in the public, talk to people. Hey, how do you use it? How are you using it? Good, bad, whatever. And then just take those survey responses and then try to get a grant to maybe get a location or pay for the computers. For me, I feel like most of the money is just going to go to pay for speakers. Right. If you get any top tier expert in any part of the field, maybe they'll do it for free, but for sure they'll do it for five grand. So if you want to have a really cool speaker come and do like a workshop demo, I would imagine that, that you would need to pay for that. But besides that, maybe just a location. And then I also structured it in such a way that I wanted it to be global. So even though it was founded in Michigan, you could set up satellites all over. So that was intentional. And even the way I set it up with being at membership based, that was intentional. And then uh, funny anecdote was the name was not originally collective, but Lara, the founding in Michigan, they turned it down because it was foundation. And they said, you can't have foundation unless you have an endorsement. And I was like, I don't have an endorsement. It's just me doing this for fun, man. And that was. So it turned into collective and then I spent some time on interdisciplinary, which is a bit of a nuanced word. I like to think of it as May. MA is not just jujitsu or kickboxing or anything. It's like all of it together, right? So that when I think of interdisciplinary as opposed to multidisciplinary, I did spend some time on all of it. And then even the logo, I really, apart from Esther, there's an Esther painting, Belvedere. If you look it up, there's a little kid reading a book and there's a cube in the book and it's called an impossible cube because it's two and 3d 
due to the, it's an optical illusion, so it'll keep going back and forth. It's neither two nor three D. It's both. So I don't know. I spent some time just designing everything, and then I I really wish I would have had a website up by now. I don't that I can take ownership for. I don't have a good excuse for it. I tried doing a, a Node.js, which was way above my, it was like up here. I couldn't figure it out. Then I abandoned it. And then I'm just, I have 101 projects, but I, <laughs> you can only do one a day. I don't have a good reason for it. I need to get something out, but I want it to be really nice. So then you procrastinate. What, uh, how do people get in touch with you now to learn more about it? Probably just any of the social media. If they're interested, just reach out, message me. I'm really good about it. I answer to absolutely everyone. Even sometimes the scammers to play with them. <laughs> so everybody gets a response. But no, if you're serious, reach out. I'd love to connect, have a real conversation and really get serious about how to do something with it. I know that I have 100,000 nominal shares. So they're not shares like Wall Street shares, but they're shares which I wanted to have as like a token for the donors. So if someone's serious about it and wants to help, I also know that you can donate like property or maybe even computers. Or I haven't done more because it's intentionally collaborative. So I feel like I did everything I could and should do on my own. And at this point, it's just getting, finding the right board members that are really, we're all on the same page and then growing it together and going through the iterative process together. I feel that I've done the, iter I've done enough iterating lone wolf style. The next step will be with other people. So everyone, you know, so everyone can have a say in it. The whole point, that was the whole point. The whole point was that it was a collective and collaborative. This is not the Andre show. So that's kind of why you can only go so far, right? So that's where I'm at. Thank you, Andre, for coming on today. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.